Hey, Cap fans, Rick here. And if you wanted to listen to the awesome Dan Jurgens interview we have, uh, you may want to skip ahead to about 45 minutes in the show. But if you want to start the show, listening to Bob and I take calls from our listeners and uh, kind of reminisce about the, the first 99 episodes, um, have a listen. Oh, and, and here's, a, here's a bunch of our former guests uh, introducing the show. Hi, this is Steve Engelhardt. Hi, this is Joe Rubens. Hi, this is J.M.D. Mateus. Hi, this is John Beatty. Hi, this is Tom Brevoort. This is Mike Perkins. Hi, this is Mike Rockwood. Hi, I'm Jim Shooter. Hi, this is Al Milgram. Hi, I'm Mark Wade. This is Ron Garnier. This is Alana Smith. Hey, I'm Jackson Lansing. And I'm Colin Kelly. Hi, this is Dan Jurgens, and you are listening to the Captain America Comic Book Fans Podcast. Greetings, Cap fans, and welcome to a very special episode. It's episode 100 of the Captain America Comic Book Fans Podcast. And I am your host, Rick Rabanis. And as always, it we've got the best gosh darn co-host on the show with me. And that, my friends, is Mr. Bob Lucius. Hey, Bob. Can we even dare to hope that there still may be a podcast for us together? Why is work such a jealous master? Can it never share the heart with love? <laughs> what the heck is that from, Rick? Well, Bob, that was um, that was Captain America talking to Sharon Carter. And right. uh, I, I slightly paraphrased and slightly changed a few oh, yeah. words there I figured that yeah yeah, yeah. but yeah. bob you should know because we recently covered this in episode 90 it was only 10 episodes ago and we covered captain america 100 yes, so i did. thought what better how how more apropos than a quote from captain america 100 for today's episode i was i was kind of whole you caught me off guard first of all you weren't using your steve rogers voice and second of all uh, I was really, I was holding out hope for like a haiku. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> alas, maybe episode 200. I don't know. But, you're hoping, uh, you, wait, wait, you're holding out hope for what? A haiku. God bless. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. You're not going to get a haiku from me. <clears throat> I oh. will say though, when I was a kid, when I was a wee lad, I, I did, I wrote poems all the time, all yes. the time. And uh, I got known as being the poem kid in my class. Uh, and, uh, I would, yeah, and I would get wow. away with like, you know, an English class and whatever creative writing class, all those classes. And I would write poems and then I would get A's. And uh, yeah. Nice. I know. Yeah. I know. Been a my while. dad was a, a bit of a poet. You know, he, he, he frequently told me growing up of a poem that he wrote for uh, an assignment in high school back in 1950, Springfield, Vermont. He had to write a poem. My dad was not, uh, not, uh, was not a, a scholar by uh -huh. any stretch back in those days. And he didn't like English. He didn't like writing, but he wrote a poem called Purple Cow. And there was a, there was a, there was a, like a, one of those, um, you know, soda fountain places, you know, uh -huh. place where the kids hang up and do the bebop or whatever they, they uh -huh. did back then, you know, and, the, and, and it was called the purple cow. And he wrote, I, I've never seen a purple cow. I never hoped to see one. 
but I can tell you anyhow, I'd rather see than be one. <laughs> that was his, uh, that was his poem for, <laughs> I think it's beautiful that you memorized your dad's poem and you, you still know it. <laughs> yeah. Right. That's, that's that poem will stand the test of time. So I guess he got an A. I don't know. He graduated high school. So. <laughs> you don't need an A to graduate high school. Just ask me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh goodness. Yeah, I, I, I it always, um, you know, I, I remember back when I was in eighth grade, I did a poem called "Rock of All Ages," and and it was taking like all the pop artists and and classic rock artists you know around that time and like like telling a story you know like you know john cougar you know was off in his little pink houses but blah 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 you know like i would yeah right and right. it was this real long 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 poem and so and my uh teacher loved it so much that she put it up on the bulletin board and just kept it up there for the longest time and i was so proud wow. and then yeah. one kid came up and said it's called Rock of Ages. And then, and then she had to explain to the student how in creative writing, you have the yeah. liberty to, to change some lyrics, much like as I did Captain America 100 just now. Right, right. Wow. Wow. And it comes all around. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny. It's probably this, that kid is telling this same story right now to someone else and, and being like, and he wrote this stupid poem and he didn't even get it right. He called it rock of all. <laughs> so don't screw up. Yeah. Son. Yeah. Using you as a lesson. Exactly. Right. Yeah, I, I used yeah. to, uh, when my kids were little, I, um, to get them to stop crying, I used to change. I, I used to come up with songs. Like I wrote uh -huh. songs Mm -hmm. And uh, I had a good night song. I had some other songs. I would just short little ditties that if they're yeah. in the backseat when you're driving and I would sing it and they would stop or whatever. And then I had this song that I did when I was giving them a bath. And I remember my son, you know, he was, I don't know, one, one to two, who knows. And he's sitting in the bathtub and I'm, I'm getting him, you know, scrubbing him down. And I'm, and all of a sudden, he, you know, he's, he's kind of whimpering. And I, and I said, close your eyes and I'll scrub you tomorrow. I'll dry you. Remember behind your ears. And while I'm scrubbing, you won't feel a thing because the shampoo says, no more tears. <laughs> All my scrubbing, I will give to you. All my scrubbing, nice. darling, I'm almost through. All yeah. my scrubbing, all my scrubbing, woo! All my scrubbing, I will give now, to you. Now I know why he's pursuing the career path that he's been pursuing. Could be. Yeah. Could be. Anyway, yeah. so the funny thing, here's the funny part. Here's the funny part. Years later, we're in the car and the Beatles, All My Loving comes on. And they're like, Dad, uh, Dad they made a song based on your song. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. That's a great story. Uh, yeah. Uh, you're a talented singer, Rick. Oh, uh, well, thanks. But, you know, speaking, speaking of, of great stories, right? A hundred episodes, Bob. Now, oh, it's crazy. I didn't do the math, 
I didn't do the math, but I mean, 75% of like, so we've done at least 75 stories, mm-hmm. right? Over the, over yeah. the last year and a half or whatever, like almost two years. Sounds right? about right. Yeah. 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 Do you have a, do you have a favorite episode where yeah, we, we covered a, you know, like, is it, does a story stand out? Does a, does a, uh, uh, a conversation between you and me stand out or, or maybe we had somebody on or somebody called in, like anything <laughs> that really stands out that you're like, you know what? That was a fun one. Rick, I, I got to tell you, I think it's a kind of a softball for me, uh, but it has to be one of the most recent episodes that we did. Episode 98. Oh, um, that was the, yeah. the last Grunewald issue. And we had, yeah. had author Jason Olson on the show. Right. It was a great, you know, I, I love that episode. Number one, because we had Jason on there, but we also had John Gunsoul mm-hmm. on there. And, uh, and, and I got to tell you, and I know a lot of folks have, have, have chimed in on this in the group, but that it was the dramatization of uh, what, that final scene between Batroc the Leaper and, and Cap mm-hmm. um, toward the end of the issue that uh, really stuck with me. Uh, I mean, I found it uh, very emotional to uh, to listen to it at the time, but then um, uh, subsequently as well, uh, you know, it, that sort of wave of emotion passed over me again. I, I really, I really enjoyed that. It added a lot to uh, the discussion, but it was also a very, you know, fun, spirited, deep discussion uh, among four cap fans and, mm-hmm. and four fans of Mark Runewald. And, and for me, that, that, I mean, that made that episode really special for me. That, you know what? I'm, uh, I'm glad you pointed that one out. Yeah. That was a lot of fun. Uh, I think we need to have John back on. We're going to redo that scene, but I'll be Batrock and he'll be. Captain <laughs> <America>. <laughs> and we'll see how that one goes. Right. I know. I don't know. He's <laughs> quite, he's quite not the emotional. <laughs> No, he's, he's got, you know, I'll tell you, I was just super impressed. I mean, you both did a wonderful job, but he, uh, he had a, a deep emotion to his, his voicing of Bat Trunk, you know, and usually he's very boisterous and, you know, the bravado and, uh, but in that scene, it was just very touching and uh, it was just wonderful. Yeah, I, I agree. It was, it was really a lot of fun to do. Um, and I think we talked about, we need to get this together is, we need to do a dramatization of a future episode where we're going to have like a casting call, right? And mm-hmm. so we'll reach out to our listeners. We'll reach out to the Facebook group and say, hey, you want to be a character in one of these issues? You know, we'll, we'll come up with, a, I don't know, a story and we'll let people uh, uh, audition. And, yeah. then, um, and then we'll, we'll do some casting. And then God knows how we're going to schedule it. You know, like trying to get, right. you know, yeah. five, 10, 15 people, whatever. But I think yeah. that'd be fun. Yeah, I think that would be really cool to do. I think folks would enjoy it. I mean, you know, we often, you know, talk about the, the old, uh, the old records, you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, and of course we've, we've, uh, we've discussed those many times and folks talk about them in the group and, and I, but we haven't seen anything like that in a very long time. And so I think mm-hmm. it'd be a lot of fun for us to sort of try our hand at that and see how it comes out. I agree. But uh, put our own stamp on it. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So, Bob, I am so excited for this episode um, because we're going to have a fantastic guest, uh, comic creator legend, Dan Jurgens, who has been in the industry for decades as a writer, as a penciler, as a cover artist, as a creator. And we're, we're going to get a chance to talk with him about uh, his two plus year run on Captain America and talk about, you know, his career. Um, and, and frankly, we're, we're celebrating, uh, the 20 years, uh, of, of his last, uh, issue that he did with Captain America. So very excited to have him on, but before we get to that, Bob, I think, I think we got, we need to take a moment and just really pause and just kind of reflect on, man, we hit episode 100. Yeah, this is a milestone. Rick, I mean, when you called me up, uh, you know, what, a year, almost two years ago, right? It'll be two years in December. And you said, hey, uh, you want to do a podcast? And I said, what's a podcast? <laughs> uh, and it's like, it's when you talk on a microphone and we record it and then we, and then we, somebody downloads it and listens to it. And I'm like, okay, yeah. And there we are. It's been a hundred episodes. It's that's, that's amazing to me, um, but it's been a fun ride and we've had a lot of great adventures along the way. We really have. And you know what, um, as much as I have enjoyed going through all the different Captain America stories, uh, the dozens of, of really cool guests that we've had on the show. In fact, uh, you know, I, I suggest for those um, who, who want to really see, you know, the breadth of, of people who've been on the show, uh, just go to our website, which is CaptainAmericaComicBookFans.com slash category slash interview and you'll see uh, all the different uh, guests we've had on the show but all that said bob you know what i i feel has been um up there as being one of the, the best things about this podcast is the fact that i've got to talk with you on a weekly basis and uh and and enjoy and grow our friendship and, uh, you know, Bob, it's, it's been a pleasure getting to know you better and, and, and having a weekly laugh with you. Likewise, likewise. It's been a, uh, you know, sometimes you have tough weeks, sometimes you have good weeks, but I can always look forward to uh, Tuesday night with my friend Rick. So uh, it's been, it's been great. Oh, well, that's so sweet. All right. Enough of that. Let's get to the, let's get to the good stuff. Yep. Oh, Bob, uh, we got, um, we got a, we got a call in. So this is James Foley. I had to call in to say hey to my favorite podcast, um, especially with the fact that y'all's 100th episode, and uh, I've either been mentioned or in 10% of them. Uh, you guys are the best. I've thoroughly enjoyed all of them. Favorite episode would definitely have to be um, the top 10 villains not named Red Skull. Really enjoyed that one and the fact that it made us think. Um, but every time you guys are entertaining – Great guest, great choices on the books to cover, a very large variety from the, the new stuff to the old stuff. It's just always a pleasure to, to listen to you guys every Wednesday and 
I look forward to it on my drive into work each time. All right. And uh, you guys keep making them, and I'll keep listening to them. Thank you. Well, okay. Thank you, James. We appreciate that. And he's uh, he's one of our patrons, one of our super soldiers, and has been for a very long time since the beginning. So we appreciate his support of the show. Um, I think that's funny. He's like, yeah, and I've been, I've been either in or mentioned in 10% of them. <laughs> All right, Bob, he's which 10 right. are they? Go ahead. Uh, uh, and go. <laughs> Yeah, 7, 8, 10, 48, 4, uh, 37, uh, 64, uh, 93, 94. Uh, how many? I'm, I, I'm running. I'm, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Uh, yeah, yeah. He's, he's actually been a guest on the show, I think, twice. Um, he's called in a few times. Um, I think he's had a few questions for our guests mm-hmm. that he's sure. had, had read. And um, yeah, he's, uh, he's, he's been, he's, wow. 10% of the show. All right. Well, um, now we just have to get up to 200 and see how many more he can do. Yeah. 10% of the show, but only 8% of those. Mm. What does that mean? I don't know. It's from Anchorman, right? The- <laughs> 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 what was it? When um, you say something, I don't know. I'm going to paraphrase, but it's like 50% of the time, it works every time. <laughs> something like that right go. right yeah yeah there it is yeah yeah oh uh, all right it was the cologne the cologne right yeah, yeah. was it the panther yeah. or something panther yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's a funny show uh, yeah it sure is um you know i i would say listen all right next question regrets do you have any regrets in the show uh, up to this point, uh, the first one that comes to my mind, and I know I've, this is the first time I said this, but James just threw it in my face. The top 10 villains not named Red Skull was in episode nine. The marketing guy <laughs> is like, why? Why did I not just wait one more week? Why did we not wait one more week, Bob? I don't know that to this right. day that, yeah. that hits me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's a good one. You know, I, I think my 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 biggest regret is is missing the interview with uh, Mark Grunewald's uh, widow, Catherine um, uh, Grunewald. Yeah, and uh, yeah, and that was way back early on. And I was traveling at the time up in Massachusetts, visiting my my father, and didn't have the internet connection uh, that I needed to join in the show. So, um, but I do regret that that was that was a great show, and uh, you did a great job, of course. But yeah, well, uh, I, I missed... you, know, you helped out with some of the questions too. So you were there in spirit. In spirit. Sure. Yeah. yeah. That was episode 11. And that was a great interview uh, talking with Kat uh, about um, getting behind the scenes uh, on Mark as a person and, uh, and what writing Cap meant to him, editing Cap meant to him and how, um, how him being taken off the book and what was going through Marvel, she really feels is what, you know, led to his broken heart so to speak so yeah. uh yeah and then the only other episode you missed bob out of out of 100 the only other one you missed was episode 91 when um we were interviewing the current writers of right. captain america um sentinel of liberty and so that was jackson lansing and colin kelly that was in episode 91 you missed that one too yeah another great episode another great episode Again, though, yeah, yeah, as always, you pulled it off, right? Yeah. Well, but then again, again, you always carry the full weight, so. Oh, stop. 
you helped. I'm just those. here for a pretty. I'm just here for a pretty face. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God, there's no video. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, we, I, I get people asking, like, why, why don't you do a video and have on YouTube? I'm like, because. I don't have, this is not my full-time job. I don't have that kind of time. Yeah. Uh, right. yeah, yeah. I would love to, I would love to get more people listening and, and watching. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's just a, just simply a matter of time. Um, you know, one of these days, maybe I'll, I'll be able to get to it. Uh, maybe, maybe by episode 500. There you go. Something to shoot for. You should have seen Bob's look on his face when I said 500. <laughs> he was like, dear God, we have to do it that long. <laughs> uh, All right, Bob, got another gonna, call. I know we're we're going to end up doing Captain America versus the Asthma Monster. I know it. If, <laughs> if uh, we go to five hundred, uh, coming, folks. All right, here's a uh, here's a question for you. It is well, I'll let I'll let the uh, the caller say who it is. Hey, Rick and Bob, this is Josh. I just wanted to wish you all a happy 100 episodes. I was wondering, out of all the interviews you've done so far, which of them has been the ultimate dream come true? Or is there one that you, is there someone involved with Captain America that you haven't interviewed yet that would be the ultimate dream come true for you? Thank you for all you do. Thank you. Bye. Yeah. Ooh, what, did, what say ye, Rick? Uh, I'm going to let you take this one first, Bob. Really? Okay. Uh, well, I mean, it's an easy one for me. Well, not an easy one. It was, there, there is a close second place for my favorite interview. And, and this uh, probably won't come as a shock to you, may not come as a shock to the listeners. But I loved episode 47, which was our interview with Dr. J. Richard Stevens, the, mm-hmm. the author of Captain America, uh, Masculinity and Violence. And I know, you know, we, we, we have the opportunity to interview uh, writers and pencilers, inkers, colorists. Uh, but I really enjoyed that because I, I, I enjoy sort of the scholarly side of, of studying Captain America. And he did such a phenomenal job with that book, uh, mm-hmm. covering the full scope of Cap's uh, mythos from, from his introduction in 1941 and the Golden Age all the way through um, the yeah, um, volume. Uh, I think uh, I think he went up through almost through volume six, if I'm not mistaken. Mm. So um, so I really enjoyed that discussion. It was very you know it was it was deep and stimulating. Uh, it covered all the right notes for me. And uh, every time I talk to him or read his posts or go back and thumb through that book, I I, I get something new. And so I loved that interview. Yeah, yeah, it was great. And we should we should have him back on at some point um it was great philosophical conversation about captain america the character and steve rogers and yeah it it was certainly a fun conversation so um yeah check that out episode 47 uh i i thought you may maybe i thought maybe you would have gone with steve englehart but that was uh, my number two uh yeah well see Bob, i know you yeah but uh but no you can't go wrong with uh jay richard stevens that was really good all right. What um, about you, my friend? Uh, you know, there were so many good ones. It's it's I love Jerry Seinfeld uh, when he gets asked the question, what was your favorite Seinfeld episode? Mm-hmm. And he says, you know, they're all my babies. Every single one of them. You know, it's you know, someone's asking you, who's your favorite child? You know, they're all my my babies. And it's it's almost like also, you know, 
it's like your breath. Like, you know, it's if someone was to ask you, what's your favorite breath? Well, it's the one I'm taking right now. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. the one. It's the next one. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, so yeah. um, I, I kind of want to say that because, you know, I, I just I want to keep uh, talking with uh, different cap creators. But um, obviously, you know, I have a sweet spot in my my time period for Captain America was, you know, uh, in the early uh, early eighties is when I really got introduced and and so forth. And, and so the creative team from that, um, we, you know, we had the writer JM Demetrius on the show in episode uh-huh. 13. That was probably like a dream come true to Josh's uh-huh. phraseology. Right. Because, you know, here's the, the man who wrote the stories I loved and um, helped shape you know, with that Steve Rogers character helped help shape me a little bit, you know? Um, and if you, if you, if you haven't listened to 13, it's kind of fun. Um, I, I did start, I actually talked <laughs> with Damateus and I, I said, did you, cause I know he was a big Beatles fan. I'm a big Beatles fan. And I said, uh, did you ever see that episode of Saturday Night Live where Paul McCartney was on and he was being interviewed by, um, uh, gosh, what's the, what was the actor's name? Uh, Chris Farley. Right. And oh, it was right. yeah. Chris Farley playing himself called the Chris Farley show. And he's just a really bumbling idiot. Like yeah. interviewing people and he's interviewing Paul McCartney. And I, I'm like, I'm saying this on the air to Damon. <laughs> right. And I'm saying yeah. to him, I was like, I feel like, cause there's a, and, and Chris looks at Paul and goes, do, do, do you remember the Beatles? <laughs> and Paul's just, as a gentleman, just smiling and nodding. Um, yeah. He goes, that was the best. <laughs> and I said, I said, I'm trying not to do that with you right now. Uh, to yeah. Mateus. And uh, he yeah. laughed, you know, he laughed. He, he thought yeah, it was he's funny. a good sport. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I mean, once uh, you got his name, right. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, don't, don't bring up Jim shooter. Uh, you know, when he had, we had him on the show. Uh, that was a little, he, we had a little disagreement on that one. Um, yeah. But, but yeah, I would say, you know, that was a dream coach trip. Now, next one, next one I would like to do. All right. We, that time period, right? We did the writer. We did J.M. DeMatteis. We did the mm-hmm. colorist, Bob Sharon. We did the anchor, John Beatty. You know who we didn't do, Bob? Uh, well, I'm drawing a blank, Rick. No, oh, please. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite Captain America artist, Mike Zed. Now, yeah. I've asked Mike a few times and, um, yeah. He's always been very gracious, but he said to me, he said, get off my lawn. (laughs) How'd you get this number? (laughs) How many times I got to tell you, get off my lawn. (laughs) Did did you not get the cease and desist? (laughs) So, uh, but he said, and this is, you know, via email, but uh, that the thing he doesn't like to do interviews because putting a spotlight on one puts others in the shadow. And I just thought, wow, what a gracious man, you know, and yeah. we heard wonderful things about him. Right. When we talked to, right. yeah. to John Beatty, his longtime partner right. uh, in episode 43, he talked about how, you know, he got John in the business. When we talked to Ron Garney, um, you know, uh, back in, what was it? Episode, Gosh, uh, 39, Ron talked about how he was a bartender and Mike 
got him in, into the business. Right. You yeah. Know, everybody has wonderful stories about Mike. So yeah. I did ask him, now get this. I did ask him what he, I said, you know, episode 100 is coming up. It's a special, you know, I, I would love to have you on. And he, he was like, well, he's still on vacation. He's semi-retired. Um, you know, he doesn't have any plans to, to get out of that anytime soon. He's, you know, but, and he ends it with this maybe somewhere down the line, question mark, question mark. And I feel like wow. Jim Carrey at Dumb and Dumber. I'm like, uh-huh. so you're saying so... there's a chance. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, the closer we get to episode 500, the more we keep chipping away at every single other person who's still alive uh, that, uh, you know, so nobody's going to be left in the shadow. Uh, it'll exactly. just be him left. Right. Exactly. So, yeah. Yeah. so listen, Everybody out there listening right now, if you go to a, 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 a con and you happen to see Mike Zek, please, on behalf of me and Bob, just say, oh, by the way, uh, you know, if you ever get a chance, you know, would love to have you hear you uh, on the, the Captain America comic book fans podcast. And I'm pretty sure he'll probably know what you're talking about. Right. So mm-hmm. just just put a plug in for us. And and by the way, if you do that and then you you call into the show or shoot me a, a text, uh, we will we'll see about getting you a prize. How's that Ooh. for bribery? <laughs> that is that is. Yeah. You're really putting it out there. I am. Yeah. Yeah. Good for you. But don't go on his lawn. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Stay yeah. off yeah. his lawn. Yeah. All right. Well, so Mike Zek, that's right. Mike Zek is the one outstanding one. I got to tell you, Rick, I, and I know I think you've got this this uh, this on the back burner. I know you've got plans in the work, but I'm looking forward to uh, hopefully someday soon having Roy Thomas on the show. Yes. Yes, me too. And I'm working on it. Mm-hmm. Working I know you are. So much, so much to talk about with uh, Mr. Thomas. So. Yep. All right. We got another call. You ready? Yeah. All right. Hey guys, congratulations on getting to 100 episodes. That's awesome. Uh, My question is, other than Steve Rogers, who do you think has made or would make the best Captain America? It can either be someone who's already had the title, like Sam or Bucky, or someone completely different. All right, so that was Grant Ball, one of our our longtime patrons. Uh, I think that's a great question. Mm, Uh, Interesting question. Yeah, so... I don't think we could I don't think we could go wrong with Sam or Bucky. Mm-hmm. Right? I think uh both have done an excellent job as Captain America. I think both make sense as his two longest time partners. Um so I I don't have a argument against either of those and I've enjoyed their stories. Yeah. Uh but if I was to pick someone else um i'd love to see a, a reformed villain mm-hmm. you know someone yeah uh do that um maybe you know maybe hawkeye maybe uh you know clint barton right um so back you know during the ed brubaker run and steve was killed they did a five issue miniseries called uh, Fallen Sun, Death of Captain America. And it was a great story. I think it was, was it written by Jeff Loeb, I think. But uh, each issue was done 
in the five stages of grief. So the first one was denial and it was Wolverine hunting down, you know, uh, and so on. Then there was, um, was it, uh, anger, I think, you know, then there was bargaining and then there was, you know, grief and then there was acceptance. Right. So I think, I don't know. One of them was, uh, Tony Stark, who was the head of shield at the time, uh, went after Clint Barton and asked him and gave him Cap's uniform and shield and said, you know, America still needs a, uh, a Captain America. Would you do it? Mm-hmm. And, and he tosses the shield around and, you know, with his skills, he could obviously do the shield part pretty easily. Um, uh, but then he got talked out of it after he was chasing down some, you know, uh, criminal heroes, you know, the ones that didn't register and so on. And he felt guilty about it. And he, he gave the, the, the stuff back to Tony. Um, but I don't know. I mean, he, he would be interesting, right? He's a bit of a hothead. Mm-hmm. He, he's, he's mm-hmm. certainly not, he wouldn't handle the situations the same way Steve would. So to watch him struggle with that living in Steve's shadow and trying to live up to Steve, I think I'd make for an interesting story. And he certainly has yeah. the skills. I don't know. What do you think? What, what's your answer yeah. to Grant's question? Well, you know, I'm going to go way off, uh, way off the map here. And uh, because I like to mix it up. I want to, I, you know, I, I want something that I, you know, is coming out of left field. And so I'm going to go with, and you know, I love this character. I'm going to go with the natural. Ooh. Right, okay. I love this character. Right, introduced in Falcon and the Winter Soldier miniseries from mm-hmm. 2020, Derek Landry, Federico Vincenti, this uh, Vincenti. Yeah, I think so. Anyway, they created this character. He's raised by these just obsessive Captain America fans, his parents, but he 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 took the wrong path. Right, he's recruited by Baron Zemo in the Hydra, and, uh, and and so he's been sort of indoctrinated by 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 Zemo, um, and so he's kind of going down this well. He has gone down this villain path, but I think there's a little bit inside of him that is just screaming for mentorship and to be reformed. And I would love to see that character come back. And I could see him come back as sort of a modern day Bucky or, or to, to pick up that shield. Um, and I, I'd love to see that story unfold a little mm-hmm. bit because I think it's uh, I think he's a fascinating character. He's got some interesting uh, all that he's the natural, he's got these natural abilities. And, um, and I think that character, there's a lot that can be done with him. So it's a little, it's a little extreme. Right. You're talking about a reform villain and, and he was sort of bad mm-hmm. guy in, in, that, oh, yeah. in, in that miniseries. He killed some folks, killed a lot of folks uh, quite uh, uh, carelessly and in cold blood. But I, I think it'd be an interesting, uh, interesting uh, path to follow. I would read that. I would totally yeah. read that. And I agree with you. I love the character that uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier miniseries that came out in 2020. Um, we covered it in this you know, uh, this show, um, back in episode 27, we covered that. So if you haven't, uh, read that mini series, or if you have, and you just want to hear us go through it, um, check that out. Cause that was a fun read. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, we got another call, Bob, you ready? Somebody oh, I'm calling ready. in to, uh, wish us another happy anniversary and ask a question. 
Hey, Rick and Bob, congratulations on 100 episodes of your podcast. Congratulations. Hey, this is Ralph Warner calling from sunny California. Just wanted to give you uh, congratulations, but also wanted to tell you, I just had a power lunch with Kevin Feige, as we tend to do out here in California. Everyone's entitled to have a, a power lunch with movie stars and studios. Anyway, I think he had too much wine because he just did the green light on my Doughboy and Tumblr script. Now, hear me out. I, I envision it kind of like Lethal Weapon, kind of like a buddy cop film, only with supervillains. Anyway, I need help. Who would you cast for Doughboy, and who would you cast for the Tumblr? Anyway, I look forward to hearing your answers. Uh, once again, congratulations, and here's to many more. Bye. Damn, I'm sold on that one. <laughs> I knew you would be. Yeah. 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 We all yeah. know Bob's Bob's got a a, a love a, a a man crush on Doughboy. Yeah. That that's that's like must see straight to TV. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> late night TV. Must see straight to late night TV. Very, man. very late night. Yeah. I yeah. uh yeah. That's a fun question. Uh thanks, Ralph. Thanks for the uh the question. Mm-hmm. Thank you for the, the comment. Um Ralph's also a patron and has been for a while, so we appreciate his support too. Um, so Ralph, uh, Kevin Feige, that's interesting. So um, I guess my question is, Bob, and and maybe uh, you know this is up for debate and what you think is um, if if they're going to do that, is it a comedy or a drama? Because that's going to make a difference in the casting, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, why not? Why not a, a why not? What would what, what, you say my choices were a comedy or, or a, a drama, a, a drama comedy with a romance. So it's a bromance. It's a <laughs> I'm romance. I'm throwing them all together, Bob. I said, maybe it's a comedy. Maybe it's a drama. Oh, I don't know why they can't have both. Rick. Why? But why then that would be so a dramedy, rigid? Bob. That would be a dramedy. A dra- Come on. Okay. Get it right. Yeah. Oh my gosh! So many choices in life. Maybe a musical. You know, Should I, we make it a musical? <laughs> well, you know, I, I, I would not be opposed. <laughs> I totally would be opposed. Um, oh, okay. All right. All right so, yeah. all right, all right. How about this? Um, okay. So, for those who don't know, do you want to tell everybody who Doughboy is? Well, he's dough. So yeah, he's a big pile of amorphous dough that can uh, form himself into uh, <laughs> dough-colored shapes. <laughs> you know, so you know, for example, uh, he has formed himself into a big sort of airship at the behest of uh, of good Erzola and uh, other other things. I mean, he's he's just the perfect creature which is why he was created that way okay uh all right and um tumblr all right so tumblr uh, now he he didn't mention which tumblr right because the original tumblr which was john robert keen uh Mm. was introduced in tales of suspense 83 and that was back in 1966 Uh, and then he died bob he died in captain america 169 uh, in 1973. Yeah. So is it that Tumblr or was it his brother, Michael Keene, mm. who went to uh, 
kind of avenge him and, you know, against the insurance companies that, that uh, didn't pay for his brother's, you know, claim. And so yeah. uh, Michael Keane then, you know, tried to do that. Michael Keane, I think. Um, and that was an issue 291 of Captain America. So we don't right. know which one it is. Do you want to take You know a- what? And Rick, again, again, Rick, as, as the famous internet meme proclaims, why not both? That's true. Why be- not have both? You know what? You're right. Because uh, this could be a uh, an eight episode Disney Plus series. Could be. So could we could be. we could introduce. Because yeah. and it should be. Oh God. Um, <laughs> and by the way, by the way, Ralph, I hate this question. <laughs> at least, at least on the other questions, I could just give my my thought and be like, be done with mm-hmm. it. This one, I had yeah. to do research. Yeah. In casting, casting. Come yeah. on. So yes. you know what I did? I this is the this is the time of kind of time I wasted on this Bob, right? I'm like, all right, well, I see that John Robert Keane in the comics was five ten and 180 pounds, um, uh, and a Caucasian male, uh, probably in his late 20s, early 30s. All right, now I'm I'm googling I'm googling. Five ten, 180 pound white actors who are acrobatic, <laughs> and I'm. I want to know how you. I, I just. I can't wait to figure out how you typecast the Doughboy. Uh, so all right, well here you go. I'm going to do Doughboy. <laughs> I'm going to do, uh-huh. do go do. You do the Tumblr. Oh, okay. All, all right. right. Oh, right. I had some. I already. All right. Sure. Yeah. All right. Okay. Here you go. Yeah. T- uh, Doughboy is going to be CG. 100% CG. Mm-hmm. Okay. There is no actor and then he morphs into a doughboy. No, he's, it's 100% right. CG, right? So the question is who's going to do the voice? Uh huh. Right? Yeah. Alan Tudyk. Oh, okay. Okay. That okay. man. All right. Is he's been, first of all, <laughs> He's been all over this genre, right? Like, yeah. you know, uh-huh. uh, in fantasy and comics and sci-fi, and and he does uh-huh. a million voices. Uh, he's okay. he's funny. Right. He's got comedic timing, and I, you hear that, Alan Tudyk's uh, agent right now? You need to reach out to Kevin Feige and 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 uh-huh. pitch your uh-huh. client and say, Alan Tudyk is the man for Doughboy. All right. See, I went in a completely different direction with uh, with Doughboy. So, uh, but you know, what was it? Strokes. All right, let's hear. It. Yeah. Let's hear it. Well, it was it was a it really was it was tough because I really considered three actors, three highly accomplished actors that I thought you know voice. When I think of Doughboy, I think who who would I want the voice who could convey the emotion in, in Doughboy? The emotion. <laughs> he has no emotion. He is and so. Dope. Yes. So the, so really the winner for me was, uh, Zach Gaflinakis. Okay. Uh, yeah. From, you know, famously from the hangover, but also keeping up with the Joneses between and two firms. of course, but between two firms. Yes. His, uh, his YouTube, uh, show on laugh or die. So for me, yes. Uh, backup, it was John Lovitz by, by a mile. So acting <laughs> exactly right. If anybody, could pull off Doughboy. It's a thespian like like John Lemons. Uh, I used to do an impersonation of him as the liar <laughs> back in back in high school. Yes. You know, yeah, yeah. And my wife 
Morgan Fairchild. You know, like I can't do it right now. Like I'm so out right, of yeah. practice, but I used to do. Yeah. And you know, time. he needs the work. So, I mean, if Zach can't do it, I know John. I know John. Okay. All right. And, and yeah. who do you got for Tumblr? All right. So I was not, um, I didn't feel bound by uh, the comic uh, physical characteristics of the Tumblr. And so for me, I had to go for, for the elder Tumblr, um, for John Robert Keane, the original villainous Tumblr. I had to go with uh, Nicolas Cage. Uh, and In his for prime? His, I mean, because he can't do it now. Oh, come on. He can do anything with the magic of cinema. Um, so I, you know, I, he would be perfect for it in my view. He's got the right attitude. He's got the right, uh, I could hear his voice as the tumbler. He'd be great. He'd be great. And then of course, as his younger brother, who, um, was just trying to do the right thing by his brother, uh, John, uh, Statham, uh, from, from like transporter. So. Okay. All right. Yeah. All right. Yeah. You hear that Ralph? You see how much time the two of us put into this? <laughs> Don't call back. <laughs> no, I can't wait to see this film I slash miniseries <laughs> on early morning television. Yeah. yeah wow. I can't, I can't wait. It's, uh, all right. Well, great questions. Listen, I could go on and on uh, listening to these call-ins and these questions, but I feel bad. We've been keeping our guest in the green room a, a little too long. So I feel like we, we need to get, get to that. Yeah, we probably should. I mean, he, we've been, you know, dodging his requests for an interview for months. <laughs> so <laughs> we definitely should uh, let him in. Yes. Yes. Uh, and we are very excited to have our next guest. Uh, that would be Mr. Dan Jurgens. For the last 40 years, our next guest has been the ultimate comic book storyteller. As either a writer, an artist, or both, Dan Jurgens has brought amazing stories to titles like Superman, Teen Titans, Justice League, Thor, and, and dozens of others. Some of his most notable creations have been characters like Booster Gold, Doomsday, and Cyborg Superman, the, the latter two from Dan's famous Death of Superman storyline, which is celebrating 30 years this year. We are excited to have Dan on the show to discuss his over two-year run on the Captain America series from 1999 to 2002. Dan, welcome to the show. Thank you, Rick. It's nice to be here. Uh, so before we dive into Cap, uh, can you share with the listeners how you broke into comics because um, it was 40 years ago uh, this year. And it was your interest always more in, in writing or, or drawing comics in the beginning. Um, I, I broke in as an artist and, and that was certainly one of my interests, but from the beginning, even as I broke in, I knew I wanted to both write and draw. And really what had happened to me is um, Mike Grell, who at that time, would have been famous for doing a lot of Legion of Superhero stuff, Green Lantern, Green Arrow, uh, and most notably writing and drawing Warlord was in town making a personal appearance. And I stopped and uh, on the way home from work one night, showed him my stuff. And it just so happened that around that time, they were looking for a new artist on Warlord. Um, <clears throat> so I know they got samples from a couple of different people as well as me. And 
I won the uh, the lottery, I guess, and that was the start of it. And that that all started in like uh, late 1981, and then the first book was published in 82. So yeah, 40 years ago. Wow. Now you talk about a, a very fortunate circumstance where you actually meet, meet Mike Rell like that. Um, was he one of your early influences or did you have some others? Oh, I had many. Um, and certainly Mike was one. I think that, you know, in the beginning, uh, the first guy whose work really stood out to me and, and I noticed the difference from everything else that was out there was Neil Adams. And then, um, you know, he's the one who made me realize that, gee, when you really look at it, comic books, they do look different. One doesn't look like the other one. And and I started to realize that, yeah, there are different artists who are doing these things and they all have their own individual styles. Um, after that, you know, I think it was Jack Kirby and John Buscema that stood out. And then like this next wave of guys like Walter Simonson and Howard Chaikin and Mike Grell and, and so many of them. Uh, Jim Starlin being another one, all of whom wrote and drew their own work. I think those are the ones that that really stood out to me because I thought, you know, if you write and draw, so you can really control what happens on the page. That's the way to go. And I, you know, live to that to this day. You you talked about you, you started as drawing, uh, but then you always had in the back of mind you wanted to write. Um, it, it, what, you know, if you had a choice to take over or launch a new series, is your first choice to write pencil or, or do both? I think it would depend on the tone of the series that, um, you know, one of the things just in terms of the way comics work is and the way they are is not every artist is right to draw every story. I mean, we have stylistic differences and, you know, what you always live for is when the right guy ends up drawing that book. You know, if you think of Swamp Thing, which was so much a Bernie Wrightson sort of book, it would be hard to imagine if we go back to when his first few issues came out. I don't think any of us could have imagined someone else drawing it, right? So I, I think it depends on the tone of the book. It depends on the nature of the property. It depends on what it is. Um, ideally, I might write and draw it, but at the same time, I'm certainly know when somebody else might be able to do a job that is more appropriate than me for the material. And so really it always comes down to what is the project. So, I mean, you've had such a storied career, Dan. I mean, so many accomplishments over the years, uh, so many things that have really resonated with, uh, with fans and critics alike, but was there one point where you realized, wow, I've made it. I'm really good at this. Um, there, there probably was. I don't know that I could really nail it down. Uh, I, I think um, in retrospect, it, it's probably at the point where as a creator, you turn down work. I, I mean, because I think when you first start, you always feel like you should do everything that's offered to you, which is can be a real mistake. And I think the the ideal is to get to a point where you get to pick and choose the projects that you want and feel secure enough to say, no, that doesn't interest me. And then not worry about it because, you know, there's always something else out there. And I, I, I mean, if I had to pinpoint it, it's, I guess maybe that's it, that feeling of being able to say no, and then just live with that and not have it bother you. A lot of people I know will say no to a project and then they just agonize over it. It's kind of like, well, will that company ever call me again? Or that editor ever call me again? Or did I do the right thing? And it's got to be like, no, that, I'm just not, 
right for that and move on. Well, you certainly have had uh, long stints on various titles over the years. Um, you know, there was a, a point where you were really making a name for yourself uh, at DC Comics. Um, you know, you you had created Booster Gold, um, which was I thought was thought was very interesting because you know you were able to create a character and get your own series very early on in your own career. So I always thought that was you know really uh, commendable. Um, and of course, Superman and Justice League. And then you, you started to do some work at Marvel. Um, mm-hmm. You did the, the seven issues of the, the launch of the Sensational Spider-Man in, in the mid-90s. Uh, you launched the, the second volume of Thor in 1998 with John Romita Jr. Right. Um, and, that, and you were on that for many years. Um, and that brings us to your two-year run on Captain America, where you took over volume three from Mark Wade. Uh, it was issue 25 in late 1999. How did how did that come about, taking over uh, Captain America? Um, Mark, and this is from what I understand, that Mark had left. And uh, I'm not exactly sure of all the details, but, uh, and, and he had been doing such a great job on the book. But Mark left, and Bobby Chase, who was editor at the time, uh, called me up. And she said, have you ever had any interest in Captain America? And I said, well, who doesn't have interest in Captain America? And she said, well, I would like to offer you the book. Um, But the trick is, you know, Mark has left. He did so, I think, rather suddenly, as I recall. And and so there are a couple of storylines that are in progress. You kind of have to pick up on. Um, But. You know, Andy Kubert is drawing the book, and and I think you guys would make a good team. And right away, it's like, well, who doesn't want to write for Andy Kubert, right? So um, I said, well, let me think about it a little bit. And I thought about it for a day or two and, you know, just wondered, do I have a couple of stories in my head? Am I ready to go? And I called her back and said, yeah, I'd love to. Let's go for it. And that's how it began. I, I don't think I'm going to go out on a limb here, Dan, when I say that fandom can be critical sometimes, especially when it comes to beloved characters. And they can be really unforgiving when creative teams take uh, liberties with even the minutiae of, of a character's canon. So how do you prepare to tackle someone like Captain America, a character with such a long and complex history? Well, you know, I first of all, I had liked Cap. I had always been a fan of Captain America. I, I loved the Cap stuff I read as a kid. Um, certainly you know, my first exposure to it uh, was less through the Kirby stuff and more around the time that uh, Gene Cohen was doing some cap work. Um, and then later, you know, when Steve Englehart was doing it and Sal Buscema and, you know, they were doing a lot of stuff they did. Then um, Frank Robbins was on the book mm-hmm. while as artist. That So we're talking like, what is that? 74, 75. Um, I was a fan of that stuff. I was the fan of the character. I, I respected Cap's place in the Marvel Universe. I respected his place in the Avengers and the overall scheme of things. And certainly had read the work that Mark had done with Ron Garney and everything earlier. Uh, and, and so I think if you have the proper level of respect for a character that you don't need to know all the nuances and detail of a character's history, that you can ask people about that, right? I mean, that's the easy stuff. I think the biggest part is to make sure that you and the editor 
and the publisher have an understanding of what, and a mutual understanding and agreement of what you want the book to be. And that's regardless of property. So that then once you have that in place, you know, you can always ask the question of, you know, I remember there was a few issues when Captain America was this other guy that wore a yellow cape until he stepped on it, you know, and then you can ask about those details. So I really think it's more important to understand and have to understand the character and then just have that um, relative level of respect for that character that comes through that understanding. And I will tell you, when you read books by people where you where they don't have that, you can figure it out pretty quickly. You know, they're really miscast on the book at that point. Yeah, no, I, I think you're absolutely right. Um, I, I know as Captain America fans, you know, we talk um, amongst each other when when there's new creative teams that are, are, you know, coming on board. And and one of the important things that we always talk about is, you know, it's just as long as the writer gets Cap, you know, if they as long as they get the essence of the character and, and have that respect, uh, I think you're right. You can certainly, um, you know, the details can can fall into place. So I, I think that's a really important part. Um, now you mentioned that when Bobby Chase came to you, you had some, some ideas um, and you kicked off your run with a, a fun adventure pitting cap uh, against hate monger of, of all foes. And um, you know, what was it about hate monger you felt was the perfect way to, to launch your, your cap run? Was there something about the character you always liked? I just think that, you know, and the funny thing is, in a way, this sort of reflects on where we're at now um, as a society, that there there was something even about the name hate monger and, and some previous stories that implied that he would be a good way to go um, kind of out of the chute. And just this aspect of someone who could refer to fascism. And, and, you know, the Nazism of many years past um, and bring that to Captain America. I think that's the kind of thing that helps to define Cap. So that's that's how I ended up going in the re- direction I did. And then you you wrote a story uh, I absolutely adored um, for issue 32. It was titled Heart and uh, Jerry Ordway was penciling. Mm-hmm. And it was a tale of a, a dying World War II vet retelling his story of being rescued by cap and, and Nick Fury's commandos during the battle of the bulge. Yeah. And uh, it was a very sentimental story and it showcased the the horrors of war and the courage of a dying generation. And I got the impression like the tale almost read as if you, you uh, Dan had a personal experience with a veteran in your life and you wanted to honor that person. Um, 20 years later, the, the soldiers that served are mostly long gone. And, mm-hmm. and this type of story in today's cap series is was nearly impossible. Are you glad you had the opportunity to tell this story when you did? Yes. Um, there was a bit of a personal connection there and, and I'll just leave that, leave that where it is. Um, but I do think that one of the senses I had always had, even before I did Captain America of how we had so many characters in comics that were connected to World War II and those years were slipping away. Uh, You know, when I did, um, when I was at DC and did the Zero Hour Project, one of the things I kept telling people is we have the Justice Society that is so connected to World War II. And if we look at the real ages of those veterans now, 
they are in their 70s and 80s. They aren't in their 40s anymore where they can still be doing this stuff. And so um, I always had that awareness that that was going to become a bigger and bigger issue. And you kind of want to honor that, that, you know, if, if we are constantly going to be updating characters. So let's say that Cap hadn't been in World War II, but in fact had been in Vietnam or something like that instead. Not that they've done that, but if that were the case, then you're kind of being dismissive of the people who were there for us in World War II, right? So yes, I absolutely wanted to um, get that out while I still could and was thrilled that Jerry, um, who is a pal, could step in and draw it because he was perfect for it. He's He excels. First of all, it was because of his own work on Justice Society. It was a time frame that he was very familiar with. And then he was so capable of bringing the necessary level of emotion to the page. So uh, to that day, that is still one of my favorite stories I've done. So in, in the next issue, issue 33, you took over the role as penciler in mm-hmm. addition to also being the writer. And you were also doing covers at the time. So can you talk a little bit about how that came about? Yeah. Um, Andy was going to move on and do something else. And so we started talking about um, potential artists on the book. And we we're looking at different things. And, you know, it's weird because I hadn't really thought of it. And then um, as Bobby and I were talking one day, I said, you know, <clears throat> what if it was me? And and I said, I just, I wouldn't mind taking a stab at drawing Captain America. Uh, I liked the character. I, I uh, enjoyed the time I got to play with him a little bit, as brief as it was in the DC versus Marvel crossover. And I said, I wouldn't mind giving this a stab. So um, <clears throat> fortunately, Marvel and everyone there was really on board with it. So we said, yeah, let's go for it. I think they say the rest is history because uh, you did an excellent job, at, you know, over the, the rest uh, leading up to, to issue 50, the, the end of the volume. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. I always wanted, I was curious about this too, also in issue 33. So we're treated to a new corner box icon uh, up in, up in the box, you know, with art by you. Um, and it, it actually appears to be like a nod to Jack Kirby in, in his stance. Um, and is that another example of knowing you kind of, made your stamp on a character when, when you get to change the corner box? You know, I never really thought of it that way, but I would agree with it. Uh, you know, I, I know that um, I have always been a fan of the characters in the corner boxes. As a kid, it's something I related to, right? Where, and a lot of it was just the way that comics were racked, where you would only see the title and the figure. And sometimes the figure was um, easier to recognize than the logo on a book. Uh, and w- again, if I go back to an earlier time when I was doing Superman, we as individual artists on the book each did our own little version of uh, Superman character up for the corner box. And I think that's, I think it's something that is one of those fun things in comics we have lost because I can't think of any books that do that now. And if they do do it, it's sort of like, yeah, this is our throwback edition, right? right. You know, something like that. Um but we are no longer doing comics for general audiences anymore anyway. We we bury them in obscurity in a lot of different ways. So I, I think it's one of those overlooked things that we should get back to. I, I agree 100%. And, you know, the funny thing is uh, about, yeah, we haven't done that. And a little trivia here. 
Um, so th- that corner box with 33 only lasted nine issues. And then there was a new corner box icon that appeared on 42. Uh, I believe you did the image for that as well. Um, and that is the last full body image of cap to be used for a corner box. So there has not been a full body in the, in the 20 years since you did it last. Okay. Interesting. I didn't realize that. Well, see now if it's that long, now it's absolutely time to bring it back. (laughs) Well, see other longtime artists like Sal Basima and Mike Zach and Ron Garney only had one. How, How did you get the opportunity to get two? I honestly don't recall the details. Uh, I, if I had to guess, it was probably back when, um, you know, around that time, there were some personnel changes at Marvel, some editorial changes and shifts, but I don't recall for sure, I'm afraid. That's getting to be a while ago now. And quite honestly, with, with things like corner boxes, usually what happens is your phone rings in those days, because even that we, we did, we were using email then, but not to the extent that we are now, you know, the phone would ring and they'd say, yeah, we're changing up the trade dress and we need a new corner symbol by three o'clock this afternoon. Can you do it? You know, something <laughs> like that. So that's often how that comes together. Um, so we're in volume three, right? And you inherited from Wade, um, the Steve's uh, attorney girlfriend, Connie Ferrari. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, and you kept her around for like 20 yep. issues or so. Um, but then you had Steve reveal his alter ego and the fallout was her leaving him. And mm-hmm. it, it was a very dramatic story. Um, Connie paints the case very lawyer like of why she needs to leave him via a monologue. Um, was curious about what drove that decision for you. Did Did you not like Connie? Was it to create more drama or maybe you wanted to, to bring back Sharon, you needed the room or was it just to focus less on Steve and more on cap? I think part of it was. Um, so if we go back to that time, I said, I had inherited a couple of things and I think Mark, and I don't know this because Mark and I have never discussed it, but I would guess that Mark had a particular place. He was going to go with her that, I never asked about, I didn't know about, and and I don't know that I would have gone to that same place. Again, I'm just guessing. I don't know. Um, but that was one thing. The other one was a talking dinosaur, which, <laughs> again, I, I didn't quite know how that was going to fit and everything. Um, but I think ultimately, for me, it was just that the more I thought about it, the more that I thought it was Cap and Sharon, mm-hmm. that, that's, that that's where the Captain America relationship probably should be. And and so that's what I started to work toward. Uh, and I think uh, a lot of people out there would agree with you. And, and certainly Sharon's been the, uh, the main love interest uh, since then. Um, one of the, the more notable characters you created and, and added to, to Cap's pantheon of villains was uh, Clinton McIntyre, uh, Protocide. Mm-hmm. And, and so for those who are not familiar, uh, the listeners, um, he was a, a test subject that that died from a being a prototype version of the of the super soldier serum and then aim found and brought back to life and then brainwashed to fight cap he hasn't really been used since your last story with him but recently i don't know if you know this he appeared among uh in steve rogers new series uh captain miracle set uh central of liberty um the during a flashback of cap villains, maybe like a handful of them, he was one of them. And it was hmm. like, Oh, remember protocide. Did you feel 
protocide story was over or would you be happy to see your character brought back by another writer? Um, when I did that character, I had fully intended that I saw that as a long running option in the book. So for example, had I been doing the book another three years, four years, uh, protocide actually had more story there that I think would have worked out very, very well. Uh, so I always saw protocide as yes, a longer term play. So if you had the, this, a long-term, you know, maybe three or four years, what happened? Why did volume three end with issue 50? Was that a, a, apparently a surprise to you? Uh, when, when they called me, when they called me up to let me know that they were going to end it with 50 and go in another direction, uh, by that point, it wasn't necessarily a surprise. There were a lot of changes underway at Marvel at that time. And I think um, they saw, uh, I, I think they wanted Cap to go in a different direction and, and they wanted to do some different things with the book. And that's often kind of what happens. So I saw it as my job to just, you know, bring the book to a close in what I thought would be the best way possible and let them move on from there. Rick just just reminded us that that volume ended with issue 50, which which came out 20 years ago this year. So that was an oversized anniversary issue featuring several different stories, one of which you wrote and drew. Uh, It was titled Silent Night, Silent Morning. Mm -hmm. It was a tale that was from the editorial Nuff Said Dare, where no words or dialogue could be used to tell the story. It was it was a really sweet tale. It was about a man who lost his job on Christmas Eve and how he helped Cap defeat the Absorbing Man. Was that a challenge to tell the story without words or dialogue? Or being both the writer and the artist, did you have a little bit of an advantage? I did have a little bit of an advantage. That's, I mean, part of it is that when you write and draw a story, um, well, let's step back just a minute first. People will often ask me, what do you like better, writing or drawing, as though they are two distinctly different jobs? When you are writing and drawing a story, they aren't two distinctly different jobs, right? It's it's more of a cohesive process where, you know, I just got done um, writing and drawing a 41-page Superman story so that even as I might have started out with a particular plot and, and something that happens on pages, say, eight and nine, by the time I get to draw that, I change my mind and I will make changes to the story as I draw it. So the... The, the, the point being that for something that is a silent story, you know, as you are in the process of drawing, you can make the changes necessary to make it work better. And so, yes, you do have an advantage that way. And I think that's um, a realistic way to look at it, that it only becomes two separate jobs if you have two separate people doing it. And even then, I don't entirely see it as two separate jobs. Is that the type of collaboration that you usually have with artists when you're writing? Like, for instance, you know, Andy Kubert, uh, is there a lot of back and forth when you're, when you're talking about the story? Or is it, uh, you know, you here's the script and then it, it rolls over to them? Well, one of the things I firmly believe in is working what we call Marvel style uh, rather than full script. I, I think, you know, comics are a visual medium, right? And I think too often, if you give uh, an artist a full script, you are tying their hands 
and it's the writer trying to exert control. So what I had always done, whether it was, so if we go back to Thor, um, which was first me working with uh, John Romita Jr. After that, Andy Kubert uh, or Andy on cap, my standard has always been to work with artists who are, you know, right for the job. In other words, well cast for that particular character and the types of story you are trying to tell. And part of it is if you work plot first and let them run a little bit, they get more invested in the story and the character. And it just makes for a more cohesive comic book and, and more interplay in the work experience between writer and artist. So what I'm saying is that breaks down that idea of it being two very separate jobs. I think one of the problems we do have in the business right now is that uh, we have most comics probably, you know, certainly coming from Marvel and DC, I would say 90%. And I'm being conservative when I guess that I, I think the number is actually higher, more like 95% of books being written script first. And I think that's why we see less visual drama and excitement on the page. And now we have a couple of generations of artists who never even learned how to do that. So uh, I know that's a long answer to a short question, but when you start to break things down and really look at the differences in comics and storytelling today versus what may have existed years earlier, that is one of the main reasons why. I think the script first methodology typically ties an artist's hand. Yeah, I will say the uh, the art of storytelling, right? Uh, layouts. Uh, things like that. I think you might be, you're right. As far as some of that may be missing uh, from, from today's art because of that, that shift in style um, getting, getting back to 50. Um, I will say uh, it's, it's almost a uh, nice symmetry uh, because in, in episode for our podcast, episode 50, uh, we covered your Captain America 50 and oh, here okay. we are in episode 100 and you, here you are. So it's a nice little symmetry there. Um, but I will share with you uh, a prize because you have a, a really nice uh, Neil Adams piece uh, on the wall behind you. Uh, mm -hmm. Here's a, a prize for my collection. Oh, okay. Uh, this is uh, for those listening. Um, I'm showing a, uh, a splash page from Captain America Volume 3, Number 50 that was done by Dan uh, of Steve Rogers in, in his Captain America uniform doing his very best captain morgan pose i guess you could say yeah right <laughs> yeah it is and we should also uh comment on uh bob wink uh ink that i believe correct yes yeah yes. yeah yeah he's a longtime collaborator of yours yes yeah um earlier in the year uh, we had we had mark wade on the show and we asked him if, if you know would he ever consider returning for a fourth run on the cap series and he qu he quickly answered no um citing the political climate and some other reasons have have you given any thought about ever returning to do a cap story or series and was there anything left unfinished or or you never got to that you would like another opportunity to address um i can't say that i've thought about it a lot uh i i i wouldn't say no just because well i i look i i don't know what the political climate possibly has to do with it i think that any political climate provides opportunity, uh, especially for a character like Captain America. I mean, Dave, Steve Englehart showed us that, 
right? So uh, I would never say no, but I'm also not saying yes because I've not really thought about it. I'd have to sit down and think, well, if I were going to do CAP, what would the project be and how long would it take and, you know, would it work out? But I would not, there's no automatic no or yes there. That's what I'm saying. I gotcha. Yeah. But based, uh, but it sounds like though you might, you might revisit protocide. That, that be could right. be. Yeah. It, but, you know, part of it is, you know, it's, it's not just who is the hero, who is the villain. I, I think often the mistake people make when they try and figure some uh, comic stuff out, it is that it, it comes down to who's the hero, here's the villain. It's like people would always say to me, how can you write Superman? Isn't it hard to think up of, you know, the, the foe or adversary that is worthy of Superman? And I said, well, no, what makes a Superman story are all the other things around it. Part of it is his relationship with Lois Lane. Part of it is the conflict you can put Superman in about what he will do perhaps versus what he won't do. It's it's the, the other elements that go into story that, that make it work. So with Cap, would I like to do something with Protocide? Yeah, maybe if the other elements are in place. And I'm not sure that they are, nor am I sure that they are not. So I'm going to ask you the, 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 the toughest question of the day, Dan. Uh, okay. And I've asked this a few times along the way. But, you know, we, we the, the multiverse has become a very popular concept uh, in Marvel, both in the cinematic universe and in the comics recently. And I'm thinking out there in the multiverse, there's there's maybe a no, another version of you that never got into comics. What path did he end up pursuing? Uh, he, he's probably asking someone that uh, on his very own podcast, Bob. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> um, I, you know, probably, you know, working in advertising or something like that. I don't know, uh, because that's what I had been doing, you know, before I got into comics and okay. uh, I had every reason to believe I was going to be pretty successful at that. So um, that might very well be the case. Or as I said, just hosting a podcast with whoever did Captain America in the year 2000 now. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> well played. <laughs> Uh, so we have some questions from our listeners, uh, if you don't mind. Uh, sure. Okay. Uh, so Grant Ball uh, asks, Captain America and Superman have both been referred to as being the Boy Scout of their respective universes. Did you feel that perception led you to write them similarly? Or do their other aspects differ enough that even the way they act as moral exemplars changes? And then Another listener, uh, James Foley, asks a similar question. So I'm kind of kind of plump them together. After writing part of the biggest Superman story uh, in the 90s, how was writing Captain America a different kind of challenge? Was it easier, harder, or just a complete change of pace? Um, I, I, I would say that, uh, well, first of all, I, I think, Let's go with the first the the first question first, and and it's interesting to me when I get questions from people that imply Superman and Cap are sort of the same character. Uh, I used to get that about Superman and Thor as well, and I'd say, no, they're not. Uh, to a certain degree, one can say that Superman and Captain America, on the surface, might appear to occupy the same places in their respective universes. But I don't think that's true. To me, the differences come down to this. I think Superman leads by example. To me, Superman is not one 
who's going to stand in the town square and make a speech. Because I think Superman, in his quest to be human, understands that he leads best by example and providing that clean, quiet example so people choose to follow him. I think Cap is much more likely, and this goes back to World War II, being the type of individual who's going to say, rally around me, folks, we've got this. And and to openly court people to follow him, which is not at all what Superman does. At least that's how I write them. That's how I see them. Uh, so I think I start with them being different right there. In terms of a boys being the Boy Scout, um, I would, if that applies to Captain America, and I'm not sure that it does, but what I have always said is, that is not a reflection on those characters. That is a reflection on how you perceive that character, right? That um, for people who want to say, you know, Superman is the big blue Boy Scout or whatever, uh, I do not see it that way because there's a certain level of cynicism that exists within that question. And I think that says more about perhaps that individual or where we are in terms of a society than it does about that specific character. Okay. Uh, as far as the second question and whether you know Cap is harder, the difficulty that I ran into on Captain America is that I was working on that book when the towers came down for 9-11. And I thought that, and I knew this when I was working on it, that, that in a heartbeat, to me that changed the condition of Captain America, because that is the very kind of thing that Captain America is in place to stop, right? So I, I think that all of a sudden, that if you're doing, um, and this is where I was, I mean, it just, it was the, the fate of the draw. If you're in the middle of a storyline where Cap is fighting supervillains, and we saw see real world villainy bring down the Twin Towers, that is such a Captain America story in and of itself that that is where Cap had to go, I think, story-wise. And yet we're sitting there and and trying to comprehend everything that just happened, and we've already got several months of issues in the drawer ready to go out. And and I think that became the instant difficulty with Captain America. Yeah, it's a, it's a really good point. Uh, and I think that's why they, they went the route of, you know, restarting with volume four, um, and, and which was all about anti-terrorism yeah. um, in response to that. And, and we've had this conversation uh, in the Facebook group many times. Is Cap the super soldier or is Cap the superhero? And depending on the writer and depending on the time period is where he was, right? So, you know, in World War II, he was the super soldier. When Stan Lee and Jack Kirby brought him back, he was the superhero. And I think he was the superhero up through your volume. And then he went back to being the super soldier. So it really depends upon the circumstances around him and how the writer chooses to react with that. Um, so that's that's really um, an interesting interesting answer to the question. Um, I guess then then here comes a softball uh, going back to Superman um, and that more of a lighthearted, I suppose. Uh, Joshua Van Dyne asks, "Would you ever write a team up with between Cap?" And Superman, and, and if so, you know, what would that story uh, entail? Well, would I? Yes. I mean, I think that would be a dream gig. Uh, would love to 
you know, write and draw something like that. Not, not that there's uh, uh, much of a chance of that happening, probably. What would it entail? I don't know. There again, I'd, I'd have to think about it a little bit more. Um, but to get back to something you also just said, to me, I think Cap is always a super soldier. Because that's that's rooted in the creation of that particular character. And, and that is the motivation. And just because you are a soldier does not mean, look, comic book shorthand, which drives me nuts sometimes, is really when you get down to it, is that military is bad. You know, that's where a lot of bad guys come from. The cheapest, most cliched writing comes from, oh, bad guy in the military who just wants to go to war. Or bad guy politician, right? I mean, they're a dime a dozen. It's, it's I think, bad writing, usually when you get to it. Um, I think when you look at successful stories of those who do serve, they do so with honor and sacrifice. And that's what Captain America is and always will be about. So I would differ with that characterization of superhero versus super soldier. I think that's more what makes Captain America different from other superheroes. So I would just emphasize that. Uh, but yeah, in terms of a team up, obviously that would be great fun. But again, I don't think that's out there. So we'll uh, see. Aaron Paul asks, uh, he says, I'm a Cap fan, but I'm becoming more of a Steve Rogers fan lately, thanks to this community. Watching Steve interact with his friends is something I look forward to along with his with the action. I recently read issue 49 from 1998. And I have a new appreciation for how he interacted with Sam and Connie. My question is, if you were writing Cap now, who would you like Steve to be with? Sharon, Connie, Peggy, or let Steve try and figure out online dating. <laughs> <laughs> and he mentions Tinder. <laughs> well, I, uh, okay. Uh, I don't know that that would be Steve's speed. Um, uh, you're right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, part of it is if we're still going to say that that um, Steve Rogers was frozen at the end of World War II and perhaps just woke up, uh, say, seven to ten years ago. Um, let's say Avengers number four took place seven, just seven or ten years ago, perhaps that that world is so different from World War Two. Uh, from the era of 1945 that it would almost I think Steve would just stay home and not leave the house <laughs> <laughs> yeah so, yeah I mean it, like it, most it, of us <laughs> yeah well yeah there is that so yeah could be right um Last question from the listeners. Uh, Ralph Warner asks, he says, I thought that Tangent Comics line uh, had many strong ideas and concepts, and that was something you were obviously uh, worked closely with. Um, if applied to Marvel and Captain America, how would you reimagine the Captain America character? Uh, and he also says, thanks and happy 30th on the death of Superman. Oh, that's a great question. Uh, I, I do think that <clears throat> because part of what we did on Tangent is we, um, we took the names. And when I got DC to do it, I just said, you know, let's do what Julie Schwartz did way back in the day, where when he did Showcase 4 uh, and wanted to use the Flash, he just used the name and then recreated basically everything around it. So if right now we were creating a Captain America out of whole cloth, where all we had was the name, um, 
maybe it would be because I think the word captain implies some kind of a military connection. Uh, and it might be someone who maybe became a Captain America more out of a sense of disillusionment rather than, you know, needing to go to war with the rest of the country. Um, I'm just thinking off the fly here, but I think it would be the inspiration and the need for the character would have to be different than it was, you know, back when Cap was originally created in the 40s. Excellent. I like it. Are you listening, yeah, that's, Marvel? That's, that's, that's something I want to read right there. Yeah. 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 All right, Marvel, reach out to Dan. Uh, <laughs> all right. So so what's keeping you busy nowadays? Uh, or do you have any projects coming up that you could share with the listeners? Yeah, we do. Um, so as and, and this actually is a nice segue because someone just said, you know, happy 30th anniversary on the death of Superman. We just wrapped up a uh, 30th anniversary death of Superman special that is coming out in November. It's an 80 page book uh, where I write and draw the, the 40 page lead story. Then we have three different 10 page stories done by the teams who were doing the books at the time. So mm. it was, uh, we have Jerry Ordway and Tom Grummet uh, doing a Superman story. Louise Simonson and John Bogdanov do a story as do Roger Stern and Butch Geis, because those were my, uh, Confederates in Crime back in the day when we did the death of. So I also have a book in November, new series that will be coming out from um, Dynamite Comics, which is Tarzan, Lord of the Jungle, that I'm writing. So that'll be coming out. And then we have a couple of things uh, that I'm working on that we can't announce quite yet, um, but are absolutely on the drawing board and I'm working on them now. Literally on the drawing board? literally on the drawing board yes nice yes. uh and and so what are what are the best ways for fans to follow you to see uh to see this new new stuff coming out uh you can always find me at danjurgens.com which is my website or uh on twitter i am the dan jurgens so you can find me at the dan jurgens on twitter excellent well, I have to say, uh, Dan, we really do appreciate you coming on and, and helping make uh, the 100th episode even more special. Uh, it's been a real pleasure wrapping cap with you. Thank you. This was great fun, guys. I yeah. appreciate yeah. it. Well, Bob, that was a lot of fun talking with Dan. Uh, wow, it's hard to believe we're celebrating 20 years uh, when he finished uh, volume three with uh, with Captain America 50. It's It's hard to believe 20 years has passed, but um, it was great. Uh, you know, talking about him, uh, about him on his time on the, on the series, as well as, you know, his thought process that goes behind the different things that, you know, when he, when he goes to take on a series, you know, um, and his thought process behind writing, I, I, I found it all really interesting. Yeah. You know, the thing is, the thing is with these podcasts, Rick, I, I, I think, you know, this is true, especially when we have guests on, right. I, if I may quote that, that fount of, of wisdom, Forrest Gump, you know, it's like a box of chocolates. Mm-hmm. You know, you just don't know what you're going to get. That's uh, true. Right? Sometimes, you know, expectations are high and, and you don't know what you're going to get and you're disappointed. And sometimes you're not. Sometimes it's amazing. Wait and, a minute. At what point were you disappointed with any of our guests? Well, I, I haven't. I mean, I'm not saying disappointed, disappointed. I'm, I'm just like, sometimes I haven't been blown away. You know, there have been times where, I, you know, I haven't gone away and thought about stuff after. I mean, I've enjoyed the interview. But mm-hmm. I haven't sort of like sat on the couch after and God and, and, and continue to think about like some of the questions and some of the answers. That was true. 
But yeah. I will say that, you know, mm. I and I know you worked really, really hard to land Dan uh, and to get him on the show. And, and, and I appreciate the hard work you put into that because I found that interview really, really interesting. And, and it gave me pause to think about a lot of things after. And, and I can't wait to see what some of the comments are in the Facebook group, because I think there's a lot there for our continued conversation. I, I agree. Yeah. It, it, yeah. It was funny. I, I went to uh, a con um, that was a, probably about like a five hour drive for me. And I went there with the sole purpose of meeting uh, certain guests there, just, just, just to invite them. And, uh, you know, Dan was one of them and I was mm-hmm. able to, to connect with him. And then here it is uh, almost a year and a half later. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. <laughs> and and uh, it's, it's the long game folks. It's the long game. Right. All right. So speaking of, uh, you know, upcoming episodes, you know, and, and other people, um, I'm looking forward to next episode 101, Bob, because we are going to finish. We're going to put a, uh, a bright big bow on, on the captain storyline. This has been an eight part series um, that we launched all the way back in episode 70. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And it, it was 24 issues. This, this eight part series that we're covering that, that went from 1987 to 1989 and we're going to finish it. It's the captain part five and we're covering captain America 348 to 350. And I'm going to tell everybody right now, make sure to plan this out. You're not going to listen to it in one sitting. <laughs> <laughs> uh make a sandwich yes yes this this might be perfect for uh oh i don't know uh going on that mid-september uh sunday drive you know we're uh, driving five hours to a con yeah yeah yeah, yeah. there you go uh but that it's gonna be fun and we're gonna have our thoughts and and our philosophies on how the the 24 part uh story went and um yeah, it's a great conversation, um, but we also take you through those three issues. So come back for next episode, episode 101. Yes, Rick, this is going to be awesome. It's going to be awesome not only to wrap up this long journey, but to take an opportunity to reflect upon the ground that we've covered. And 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 I can't wait to to hear what your big takeaways from this story are. And, and I've got a few for you as well, things that I've learned along the way about Cap and about John Walker. And, uh, and again... I hope it sparks some conversation in the Facebook group. I'm pretty sure it will. All right, Bob, it's been fun uh, wrapping 100 episodes with you. (laughs) Let's do another 100, huh? (laughs) All right. He's Bob Lucius. I'm Rick Verbonis, and you have been listening to the Captain America Comic Book Band Podcast. Hi, this is Dan Jurgens and oh, classic. <laughs> Hold on one moment.